piece of music you're listening to is called Shooter on the Roof. It's one of those dark, tense, brooding pieces of music that builds up slowly over time. So it's useful for uh, climactic build-ups uh, where something's about to go down. You're listening to How I Make Music, a weekly show for music and audio producers to go behind the scenes of soundtrack composition and write more compelling and original music. Each week I break down a soundtrack that I've written and share the insights and decisions behind how it was made. My name is John Bartman, I'm a music composer and producer from South Africa, and this is How I Make Music. You can start to hear some of the elements creeping in there. Let's cut it and break it down piece by piece. We'll listen to the full track again at the end. I want to play you the very beginning of this piece, and then I want to play you the very end. I'd like to illustrate how much of a journey we're taken on. It goes from very low-key to very over-the-top. Give it a listen. So it really just starts out with that basic loop. And then by the end of the piece, we've reached this hellhole of additive synthesis. The key point about this piece of music is that it's long, it's repetitive, and it builds layer by layer. These are the elements that are used to create tension. But why? Why do we feel unnerved by a low rhythmic pulse like the one I've used in this song. Let's give it a listen. That carries on throughout the entire four minute track and it just gets built upon and built upon. So in a way this rhythm is the bedrock of the track and really contributes to the tension. But the sound of it actually is a very tame sound. Its closest relative is a sine wave, and a sine wave which sounds like this is a really gentle sound. The sine wave gradually morphs into, well, this abrasive sounding patch which you hear at the end of the track. Just a little warning, this is a very horrible sound on its own. Give it a listen. By really messing with that pure, uh, almost innocent sounding sine wave and turning it into this demonic monster, we've taken the, um, we've taken the listener on a real journey you know, throughout that period. And that was definitely part of the intention, was to ramp up the tension by modulating this pure tone into something ugly. My aim with this choice of instrumentation was to make it sound like an electric guitar, um, a distorted electric guitar. I wanted the climax of this long build-up to be really something uh, nasty and in-your-face and uh, dirty. So I went for the electric guitar and recorded this part over the top of the synthesizer. It's a combination of four electric guitar takes. Multi-tracking is a big part of getting uh, guitar sound to work. If you listen carefully again, you'll hear there'll be two guitars in one of your ears and two guitars in the other ear, 
panned hard left and right. Um, this is a production trick used to make an instrument sound fatter. So it might sound like one guitar being played, but it is in fact four different times. Okay, that was sounding uh, adequate for the task, so I put those two together. Here is the guitar and the synthesizer together now. That is filthy. It came across quite nicely and I'm happy with how it conveys a sense of danger and tension. It makes you want to run the hell out of there. A trick I like to use for conveying danger and uh, tension is to use dissonance by allowing two notes to play in unison and then slightly pitch bending one of them so that they start to interfere. It sounds like this. If you were to do the impossible and try and play that part on a piano, it would sound something like this. The note E and the note F natural together. That is the most dissonant interval uh, and it's used time and time again in soundtrack to create danger, create a sense of danger. I found myself asking why this is effective um, and I thought one answer might be that if you were to bend a guitar string, let me play you me bending a guitar string. What you're doing is you're literally creating more tension in the string. It sounds like it's about to snap. So your brain is subconsciously thinking, ah, how, how much further can he bend that? And you're anticipating the snap. To make music tense, you also need to rely quite heavily on texture, um, at least in today's era. Movies from 20 years ago still rely quite heavily on orchestral uh, arrangements. Nowadays we use synthesizers to, not even to emulate those sounds anymore, but really to take it further and uh, explore the possibilities of texture. Texture is anything that doesn't fit into the categories of rhythm, melody and harmony. For me, I call it the, the fourth column of soundtrack composition. Texture usually includes sounds like the wind and noise, seashore sounds, and basically the new world of sounds that synthesizers allow us to um, create and uh, gen generate, increasingly generate. So here's what I ended up with, um, this reversed noise sounding loop which goes throughout the entire track. Take a listen and uh, Listen to the effect it has in creating tension. There's almost a bit of a heartbeat sound in that kick. And it sounds unnatural because the samples are reversed. So the take home here is uh, to create modern sounding film scores you're going to need to rely more and more on those types of sounds and less and less on um, the sort of pure musical approach. Um, I found it helpful in my work um, and I'm increasingly looking to modular synthesis to um, find these kinds of uh, soundtrack drone solutions, especially for long passages where a climax is required. We're sort of moving into the next set of um, observations about this track, which is to do with the instrumentation. I've already mentioned the abrasive 
dirty synth that we used earlier and that strange reversed uh, noise loop that we just heard a minute ago. Let me play you the female choir part that I wrote to complement this build-up. I was recently fortunate enough to attend a workshop with um, one of our South African success stories. is a film composer called Zetu Mashika. Uh, I'll link him in the show notes, and he really drew her. I'll link him in the show notes, and he really drew the parallels between these solo female voices and biblical or religious um, influenced music. I decided that might be a good way to go in terms of instrumentation when trying to write something that's clearly a big event. There is just definitely something um, sublime about, about a female choir. Obviously, you know, uh, churches and cathedrals used, used choirs to sing um, songs and music was pretty much funded by the church in the classical era. The use of a solo female voice, there is something angelic about it. I take every opportunity I can to record violin. I either do it in conjunction with or instead of string patches, sampled computer strings. So for this piece, I thought I'd be brave and uh, do uh, do all the strings completely with my own violin, and that's what I did. So it starts off with this um, ostinato. That's a cool word I learned. It's an ostinato is a repeating passage. Um, so throughout the song, you'll hear a slow fade in of this passage. It starts off almost so softly you can't hear it, and then it fades in gently. By the end of the tune, there's a soaring high violin melody, which uh, sounds like this on its own. And just because it's not a lot of extra work, here are the two parts together, the ostinato and the solo. So this is the entire string section for the song. Now it starts to feel like we're taking soundtrack music composition in a new and a perhaps more original direction by combining this harsh, abrasive element of rock guitar and this filthy synthesizer with this almost pure element of um, the female choir and the violin. It's a real meeting of worlds. I see this happening in blockbuster soundtrack today, taking this the best of the past and the best of the present. Uh, it really, this, this merger, this... Um, you know, this this joining of these two forces 
really inspires me in my work and always has. I encourage you to rely on any instrumental skills you have and record live parts into your work. Um, even if it doesn't sound perfect, it sounds uh, evocative and ultimately more human. Lastly, I'd just like to talk a bit about the time signature, the timing and the arrangement, um, the chord sequence that's used. This piece is in 6-8. It's got a rolling feel. This kind of rhythm. Let me play you a piece uh, from towards the end of the song which illustrates it. This is a drum kit which I included as well as bass and some texture. Give it a listen. There's a predictability to it. There's nothing erratic about it. It's um, solid. It's like a train just moving forward. And that really contributes to the sense of inevitability um, of the climax that's coming. Uh, don't be too fancy and don't try um, to put too much emphasis on rhythmic irregularity because then you're going to derail your, uh, that effort to lock your listener in. Um, you really want to be locking them in and literally have, keep them on a single track. And the rhythm is the role for the job there. Keep your rhythms quite simple, your core rhythm at least. So that's a note on the timing. Um, it's sort of like constructing an actual building. What you're doing is layer by layer, you're taking the listener higher with each iteration, then bringing in a drum kit and then bringing in perhaps some shakers and then bringing in another layer of rhythm. One group that does this particularly well is Nine Inch Nails. Listen to their early stuff and you'll hear what I mean by um, really like stacking up the layers. Very effective. And lastly, there's the actual chord sequence itself, which I'll just go into briefly. We're in E minor. Your next chord is going to be D. That's a C or an E minor 6. And then we go to this, which is actually an A7. And then the final one is right up to an E minor 7. The overall effect is that you're just playing an E minor chord and changing the top line. Those four notes pretty much sum up the harmonic progression that's going on here. Why do I think it works? Well, for two reasons. The one is that first it's a minor key, which always lends itself to, you know, danger and darkness. And secondly, it doesn't fully resolve. This little progression keeps going throughout the song the whole way through. And all you want it to do the whole time is go all the way up to you want it to reach this top note, but it doesn't, it keeps resetting. And so it kind of keeps you on the line, towing you along until the very end when there's um, a drop off a cliff really. And then that's the first time that you hear that high note. So it continues to sort of semi-resolve, um, but only provides closure right at the end. And that contributes to the tension. Tension in music is the opposite of resolution. And I feel that this piece uses it quite effectively, uses the harmonic progression quite effectively to create that tension. Wow, okay, I think that's about it for this episode. So we'll listen to the full track in just a moment, but before we do that, thank you for listening to How I Make Music, a weekly show in which I break down one of my original soundtracks and share the insights and decisions behind how it was made so you can hopefully make better music or have an idea of, um, of what the rest of the tribe is up to. 
There's a new episode every Wednesday. If you like it, subscribe. Please share it with your music producer friends, anyone into creating audio dramas, anyone who could see the value in it. I really would appreciate if you helped me get the word out. If you need fresh music for your own podcast or video productions or audio dramas, you can download this track, Shooter on the Roof, from my website, johnbartman.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-R-T-M-A-N-N.com. Go to the music page, search it by a keyword title, genre, mood, or instrument for original royalty-free soundtracks and podcast themes. This podcast is available on Spotify and, of course, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get them. Thanks again for listening, and now here's Shooter on the Roof, a decidedly tense, climactic build-up uh, for a blockbuster sniper scene in its entirety. This is John Bartman, this is How I Make Music, and uh, I hope you have a great and musical week. I'll catch you next week.